Hi guys, it's Emmett. So today, someone, uh, here I'll give her a shout out, Linda from New Zealand, if you're listening, thank you for your comment. Uh, she said that uh, my new work shed was a great example of making a lean prototype of something so that you can test ideas and iterate quickly. And I think it's a great way of thinking of it. It's also worth noting that um, it is not the first iteration of these things that I've done. I've, you know, this is sort of combining a whole bunch of features that I've tested out on structures over the years. And it's yet, a, yet another iteration of these ideas of using greenhouse plastic, using quick wooden framing, etc., etc. I love the idea of running a business lean because it's been really important for me. Uh, I first started thinking about it with my Christmas tree farm when I realized that there was only so much that the Christmas tree farm would grow each year, like physically grow. The plants would only grow so much. And I had done a lot to rehabilitate areas, but I was running out of low-hanging fruit and coming to recognize that probably the next low-hanging fruit was not increasing the amount of work that I did by hiring people or just bringing areas into production that had been stagnant, but making the business more lean. And by lean, I mean cutting out the waste, making it more efficient, making it more profitable. And so getting more profit out of the same or slightly smaller sized business. And I think this is a great moment in the world's history to think about what it might mean for you and your business or aspirations of a business to make it run lean. Uh, there's this farmer named Ben Hatke who's published a book called The Lean Farmer um, published by Chelsea Green, the same publishing house that published my book. Uh, and it's fantastic. It basically uses the principles used by the Toyota company uh, to think about how to farm in a more efficient manner and not how to farm more efficiently by getting bigger and mechanizing things, but by cutting out waste and making smaller possible and actually more profitable than larger. And I pulled out my copy of the book. Actually, it's his second book, but it has all these principles laid out in the beginning. Um, and for the first time, I'm embarrassed to say, I read the, the introductory chapter. And what was fascinating to me is that this guy has a reputation for being the epitome of this. His farm is so lean, it's ridiculous. Like, all the beds are exactly the same size. Everything is oriented in this way that makes things quite efficient. What they produce, when they produce it, it is a masterwork of this in, in action. And what reading the introductory chapter told me, which I, I guess I wasn't surprised by the end of it, but at the beginning I was like, oh, okay, he's human too. That he started out, he and his wife started out like all farmers, or almost all farmers, I'll say, um, 
kind of a hot mess all over the place. And we're just wildly experimenting with things, trying to figure out the right things, figure out how to do what they want to do. And they kind of had to have, sort of have, not hit rock bottom, but they had to reach a place where it was just clearly not working. Something had to give. And then at the right moment, uh, these principles sort of came into his lap through one of his customers. And he really embraced them. And it, it's what made a huge difference. So I'm not going to get it right because I'm out walking the dogs. But um, basically the idea of lean principles is that there are all of these things that are next to the thing in our business that makes us act that actually makes us money that don't actually make us money and these can be things like uh well actually here's here's what I can do I wrote down in my notebook here hold on I'm pulling it out all right So I wrote down my notebook as a as a as an experiment for me to be thinking about. So where does value come from in my business? Like what are the activities that I do that I call work that actually generate value? So for me, in no particular order, gathering good wood generates value. If I have a good selection of good quality wood, it is worth me putting in that time, sourcing it, gathering it, staging it, sharpening my tools, maintaining my tools. That is bringing me value because I can limp along with tools that are not sharp, but sharpening my tools will repay me with better work, easier work, safer work. The obvious one, when I'm physically carving or axing blanks. Hey, Willow, let's go. Leave the horses, come on. I forgot to tell her not to go down and eat horse poop. <clears throat> so that's the obvious one, right? I generate value when I physically do the work that people have paid me to do. Value comes for me from the right level of engagement. This is a tricky one because it's easy to over-engage. I've been experimenting uh, the last couple of weeks with engaging more with uh, my blog and my YouTube channel, and I started on TikTok, and I've been feeling out sort of whether it feels right for me. I'm not expecting those things to demonstrate proven value this early out the gate. That would be silly. They would have value six months from now. But the question I'm asking myself now is, in constantly asking myself these questions of what brings value, I can, it's, a, it's a chance to revisit those decisions and say, yeah, is right now that you, they're really the, the thing that needs to happen? Like, am I stretched too thin? Do I have the bandwidth to continue doing it? Are there things that would be a better use of my time to make sure I got right than doing those things? So the right level of engagement. It is easy, even on one social media platform, to over-engage. Um, and I like, as much as the next person, muddling around in my community and seeing what people are doing and 
you know, having little conversations with them, that's great. But it is always important to keep those things in balance. So interacting with customers, people who have actually reached out about an order, that is definitely bringing value. Um, And this is actually something that I think most people would do well to think on more. Because, oh man, probably at least a third of the time, possibly more. Well, uh, come on! interacting with a customer and not just making it so that they can place an order on my website, interacting with a customer has led to more sales than if they had just gotten the first thing that they reached out about. It's the conversation where it becomes clear that I am asking how I can help them that then leads them to think more about what they actually want and add to their order. So that interacting with customers is crucial and it also builds a deeper bond with the customer so that we have a relationship. And uh, things like, for instance, I just had a customer in New York whose blanks didn't arrive. Uh, We looked at the tracking number, she looked it up and uh, they got delivered. She didn't get them. So I'm going to make her new ones tomorrow. And... That level of customer service and standing by the commitment that I have made comes directly from having um, personal conversations with the customer. The time that I spend shipping my goods out and handling payments, those are all uh, not necessarily bringing value, but they are necessary for the overall process of bringing value. But it's worth looking at each of those things and asking myself, can I be doing it more efficiently? So this is a uh, place where, for instance, I looked at how often I was going to the post office a couple years back and I thought, you know, I really should just go once a week and it'll be more efficient because uh, then there's, there's certain overlapping activities or repeated activities where, yes, it's still going to take me the same amount of time to box up the order, but I won't be physically going to the post office and back every week. Now, the post office is very close to me, so it, it would make even more sense for somebody who actually had to drive any distance, anything more than two minutes to get to their post office. So those are the things that bring value to me, and it's worth remembering that those are the things that bring value to me. Here are the things that don't bring value to me, and you'll see that they're related. Over-engagement in my own work, or engagement with other people's feeds at a level that is out of balance with what I have time for in my life. So. Again, that's a very subjective thing. It's gonna be different at different points in the year, in your career. Depending on how much work you already have coming in, it might make sense to over-engage or it might make sense to disengage. 
Another source of waste in my life would be buying uh, so buying other people's work and buying tools that are duplicates or things that I don't absolutely need is a source of waste. Now, that's sometimes it is great to buy somebody else's work. And I'm keenly aware that I am relying on people buying my work. But I don't expect the vast majority of people buying my work to be people who are thinking of spoon carving as their business. And here's where it gets a little touchy, I think, for people. Buying work and buying tools, buying other people's spoons and buying tools does not get you more profit. I've seen so many people over the years tooling up and tooling up and tooling up and buying more work and buying more work and buying more work and they are not that much closer to actually turning a profit from this thing. So it is worth asking yourself if you are trying to make this a business. It is important to recognize that you don't have to stop yourself from buying work and tools completely, but it is worth recognizing that those actions are not bringing you value in the business in terms of money in the bank. Having extra tools lying around is a source of waste that is seen in this Japanese theory of lean management. So uh, I've actually been dealing with this for years. For a while I tooled up to be able to teach up to eight, ten people at a time. And then for the last couple of years I've been divesting myself of those tools. So I've given them away to young people who were starting out and needed them, or folk schools that were starting up. Uh, you could sell them, and that would be fine. I felt like I had been the recipient of so much generosity that I wanted to pay it forward. Another source of waste is extra trips to the post office. We've already talked about that. Next on my list is having extra inventory. This is a big one, guys. There are so many people right now whose, uh, whose sources of selling their spoons has dried up and their, the pace with which they're producing does no, no longer matches the demand that they have because they can't do in-person markets. And yet they're still producing and producing and producing, thinking, well, things will go back to normal and... That demand will be there. I don't think the demand will be there. I think the demand will be the same as it was before. It's not going to be a pent-up demand. And if you create a pent-up inventory of all this stuff that you want to sell, guess what? You're going to have a lot of stuff that doesn't sell, or you're going to sell it all at rock-bottom prices. Both of those situations are not good in terms of moving forward. Much better to recalibrate how much you're producing and put any extra time into promoting yourself. 
through producing content, through engaging with people, through uh, sharing what you know freely. Those are the strategies that have worked well for me. And if I was in a position where all of a sudden my usual sources of production or, or selling had dried up, then I would be trying to increase other sources of selling, but I would make sure that it was calibrated so that I'm only producing as much as I'm actually selling. And then squeezing those moments of production. If you are, if you're like, yeah, well, I, you know, I can only sell two spoons a day. There's not, I don't have demand for more than two spoons a day, but I'm, I don't have anything else to do with my day. Well, I, I was in a position of only being able to sell two spoons a day about three and a half, four years ago. For a while, I was only doing one spoon a day and selling that. And so there's a couple things you can do. You can choose to lower your prices. I would recommend doing that, but I would recommend doing that and talking about why you're lowering your prices and have it be that you're lowering your prices because you recognize that now is the moment that people just don't have as much money and you need to meet them where they're at. But also, if you're only selling two spoons a day, document the, I'm going to swear, document the heck out of that process. Take lots of photos, write stuff, figure out all sorts of different ways to do it. Don't just take the one or two photos or the whatever and put that on the one social media thing. If you need reach because you're out of balance, you're producing more than you have demand for, then the produce the content while you're producing the one or two things that will allow you to generate the interest that will increase your demand over time. That's the smart play. So don't let extra inventory build up. And then the last thing on my list of areas of waste are times that I have failed spoons. I'm halfway through the process, something goes wrong. This is kind of the easiest one to recognize. Um, and, and so my entire process is built around limiting this happening in the first place. And, and it worked. I, I now basically never have spoons fail. If I have spoon blanks fail, it happens early, early on. Um, it is rare for me to have that happen. And it is not just skill, it's because I devised a process that front loads that riskiest part and puts it at the beginning and figured out ways to train myself to walk away from situations that might fail. And that cut my failure rate down to almost nothing. So those are the areas of waste that I brainstormed. Again, I could probably come up with more. Here are the two changes that I have come up with just, and then I think, I think it was only two because I finished my breakfast and had to leave the table at that point. So for me, my workflow is that I back my truck up into its parking spot. I unload the logs from it. I end friend the logs about 20 feet over to the shed where they're at, where the chainsaw lives. They get bucked into chainsaw lengths there. Now it used to be that I'd then bring them around the back of the house to the wood splitting area, split them and bring them to the hoop house or inside the house. Or just be right back there at the woodshed. With the new work area up on the hill, it actually makes more sense to buy another maul and wedge and split them up while they're back at the chainsawing station. And then 
if I carve, the second thing on the list is to carve a path up the hill from the chainsawing station up to the back side of the new shed. There's already something that's sort of halfway like that. But if I can walk up the hill with the wood that's ready to be turned into blanks, that saves me a, f a certain amount of going around the house, over to the chicken coop, and then back up the meadow. Now, I can't make a path that I can get a wheelbarrow up, but I've tried doing wheelbarrow loads of wood, and quite frankly, I'm not sure it's worth it. Um, it might be better for my body to do it one round at a time. Split up a round. I just have to whack it in half, really. The biggest rounds may be into quarters, and then haul those up the hill by hand, and the way that that forces me to take a pause uh, it's probably better for me than doing it all and then trying to push this really heavy wheelbarrow up this steep hill. And then the problem is there's no place to really park the wheelbarrow. So those are my thinking of how I can make my process more efficient. Um, and obviously there can be more. But I think that this form of thinking about how to make your business lean is one of the most useful things you can be doing right now, whether you're starting a business or you have a business and you're trying to make it work out in this time. Thanks for listening, guys. Sorry this one was so long. Uh, hopefully it was worth it. Please let me know if you liked it.